You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, this is like home away from home for you. Actually, this is kind of the, perf- the perfect cross-pollination of the identity away from the radio of the two of us, I right? was thinking about that on the drive in. We're maybe an eight iron away from the turn two suites. Is that correct? Yeah. And we're at the Brickyard Crossing Golf Course on what looks to be another very nice morning here in Indianapolis. And it's going to be a steamy one. We're at the Pacers Golf Outing. Um, it's us, the maintenance crew, and I think the uh, beverage lady just got here. That's right. The um, the maintenance crew had the landscaping tools fired up, man. This you is were- a lot of morning golf nostalgia for me right now. I worked at Plum Creek Golf Course for about a half dozen years, so... Uh, all the fields coming back again. The golf outing later today will be joined by Chad Buchanan, Pacers GM, a little bit later. Dan will be out here um, as well. What ages did you? From what ages did you work at a golf course? So I caddied a little bit at Sagamore and Crooked Stick. Probably, gosh, my parents probably started dropping me off for that at thirteen. Probably like 13 to 16 I did that. And then once I got my license, I worked at Plum Creek from, yeah, sophomore year of high school. And then I would do it in the summers when I came back from uh, from college as well. So about about six years there. And, yeah, this is like – this is pretty peaceful for me right now, to be honest with you. I think the other cool thing about it uh, – again, we're at Brickyard Crossing here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen and – this is – it's still early enough in the morning that it's kind of the, the nighttime in terms of the FedEx planes. And this is right in their flight pattern. And so, like, if you just look out, you can just see oh, sure. the planes yeah, yeah, lined yeah. up waiting to come in, which is kind of cool. But That's, that's a great point. I, can I raise my hand and admit a rookie mistake I made driving down here this morning? Uh, can I guess? Sure. You left too early and we got here too early. I left too early. Okay. And as I'm passing Marion, Coffin Golf Course, going down Cold Spring, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I got time to go over to Long's. Didn't bring cash. I think I've got a $20 bill. Okay. In my wallet. Walk in there. Reach for my wallet. and think I'll get a dozen donuts. I know we've got Devin. We've got Cam, Sienna out here as well. I, you know, I wanted to make sure we got about a dozen donuts. What do I have, Jake? I've got four $1 bills. <laughs> so here I am with a bag of Long's Donuts, and unfortunately, I ate one as soon as I got in the car, and there's three of them, and there's what? There's four of us, five of us, well, I guess? Well, I'll tell you what. I had the, mine, so I'll let you guys divide up the other three. I got but, news for you. At being Now being 50 years old, the old metabolism train is slowing down, so I'm going to let the young bucks I, enjoy. I, there's nothing better, though, man. I thought I saw you have a donut yesterday. I did have a donut yesterday. But. Not to... You can only Tell have on you, but no, you can only have one a week, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, as soon as she handed me the bag, I'm like, oh, I'm such an idiot. This the oh. longs are just so. I mean, they're unbelievable, right? And Long's you know what? Real. Last night, Kevin, uh, I was out at Victory Field for our annual Robin Miller, the Friends of Robin Miller get together. Robin Miller, the Indianapolis Star, used to do. Uh, I say used to. I mean, when Robin was was still with us, he would organize every year. A get-together night. He, th- there were two things we do every year that Robin would put together for all the guys that worked at the Star. And it didn't matter how peripherally, a la me, or how actively, you know, Tom Reitman, the Benners, you were involved in the Star. Robin would invite everybody. And we do an Indians game every summer, and we do a dinner at Iria's every winter. So last night was our Indians game, and no one was more famous for bringing Long's Donuts to the group than Robin Miller. So this is a perfect, <laughs> perfect tribute uh, towards Robin. Well, I love hearing that, and I'm excited for today, Jake. I, I'm excited for this Pacers season. I, I, I know that a lot of people um, will simply look at the win-loss record, and that's, to me, it's not going to tell the entire story for what this year is about. Now, it's a very foreign time, I think, for Pacers fans. They're not used to the preseason expectations uh, lacking to the degree that they are, but you know, to me, Jake, it, it's hope. It's a different direction. It's think, more modern. It's yeah. a new era. It, it checks all those boxes for me. I think that's the big thing, right, is there are two ways to look at a 30-win team. One is just a mix and match of, of roster where you just say, like, what are we doing here? 
and, and the Pacers have been in that situation before in the past. I mean, you know, and then there's another where you don't know what the win total is going to be. But but I'll tell you this. It, it's a really good sign. If you're going to have, like, so let's say a 30-win team, then what you want is for that number to be exponentially higher than the oldest contributing player on the roster, which is <laughs> which is what's going to be the case for them, right? So, in other words, I, I do think that people know that it's going to be a year where wins may be less frequent than what, you know, you, you get in the years of competitiveness, but that's because it is an extremely young group that has just been put together that has a very bright upside, one would think. And so this is kind of a rebuild mode, but there are some promising young pieces, and I think that does intrigue people. Two weeks from tonight, the preseason opener. Uh, we're less than a month away from the regular season opener. You just brought up an interesting point. You know, if you're going to win 25, 30, 35 games, you want to make sure that everybody on your roster is younger than that total. I, I look at this Pacers team, and we've talked so much about the young pieces, and you know, I think our listeners certainly know my affinity for Benedict Matherin and what he can be at the NBA level. What about Miles Turner? What about TJ McConnell? What about Daniel Tice? Yeah. If you look at the four most, Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald is still a pacer. Like if you look at the four most expensive pacers, it's those four. Are any of them here next year? Are any of them here in February? That's the other element to this season. That's not about development for Matherin. You know, what does Halliburton look like as, you know, continuing to kind of hand him the ball and say, you are our centerpiece of this rebuild. You know, do you see any signs from Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson or maybe even an Aaron Neesmith of like, okay, you know, this is a potential starter moving forward. Those veterans, like how much you play them, how much they contribute? Are they a part of any sort of future? Do you move them at the deadline? That's the other, I think, major storyline to watch you, here this um, season. You know, when you, in asking or, or speculating about trades, which what like you, you should just ask Chad Buchanan that. Yeah. Just ask him flat out. Like I think I will. Are these yeah, guys yeah, going to yeah. be here? Yeah. And Chad's pretty candid with us. Yeah. yeah, I think back to when Chad came on late June with us and you asked him very directly about Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. Jake, I think his answers played out how yeah, you're his right. words he was led to those actions. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we walked away from that interview saying Malcolm Brogdon will not be here next year and they will continue to listen to trade offers for Miles Turner, but they're open to seeing Turner with Halliburton. Correct. And here we are, you know, a handful of days away from training camp starting and that's what the roster Looks like so it'll be primarily kind of a Pacers focused show. We'll obviously, sprinkling uh, a decent amount of Colts conversation too. Stephen Holder is going to join us at eight o'clock. Uh, I know Mark Dykton was thrilled to see the announcing crew for Colts and Chiefs on Sunday, right, Mark? <laughs> oh my God, I wanted it to be Spiro Ditas just to just to piss you off. <laughs> is this the first Tony Romo Colt game? It's the first I can remember. Is I feel like there's been one other, but I just can't think of it. Is Patrick Mahomes the Steph Curry of the NFL? Yeah. Like, he's the draw, right? I mean, he is the straw mixing the drink. Because if you look at the Sunday slate, don't you think Romo Nance should be on Bill's Dolphins? I would think that Romo Romo Nance feel like now the Patrick Mahomes, you know, touring band, right? So Nance Sims used to follow wherever Peyton or Brady went. We'll go Peyton one week. We'll go Brady the next and flip it. Now is it we'll go where Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes goes? That's probably right. Although it doesn't feel like Buffalo really has the cachet just yet. And oh, I, boy, I think it's building. You know one thing about Buffalo that that I really like? Is they got really clean-looking uniforms. They you do. Know, the, the, those blue, like the white helmets, they're just, they're just cool, man. I was talking to my brother-in-law last night who actually has been to a – Colts Bills game in Buffalo and I think why I just love the Bills so much is because to me Jake it's a college atmosphere around that stadium pregame there's a feeling of just a you know what's the population size of Buffalo yeah for sure 
that's just rare well, that's, in professional Kevin, sports. And I think it's what you love about the NFL. It's probably what you don't love about Major League Baseball and the limited amount of parity that you have in that league due to the salary cap. But the NFL, you've got that. And but this is what drives like me Buffalo crazy. And Green Bay can compete at that level. What drives me crazy about, I'll be candid, about the Colts was this narrative, and you don't hear it out of the Colts as much anymore, but the narrative of the the whole thing of, well, you know, it's, it's just we're at a disadvantage because of our market size. Bill Polian was a huge, huge, huge stater of that. I mean, when it came to the new stadium, we need a new stadium because it's just too difficult in our market size. We're at a disadvantage. Da, da. What? I mean, the... Yeah, I don't, it, I, that doesn't really add up They lost me. a Super Bowl to New Orleans after half the population had left because of Katrina. Green Bay is one of the most consistently good teams in the NFL. Buffalo right now is probably the best team. If not, then maybe it's Kansas City, all of which are smaller television markets than Indianapolis. You have revenue sharing. You have a salary cap. Pretty simple formula, right? Live here at the Pacers golf outing. We are, I believe, now up on YouTube. There is stream. nothing better, Kevin. I know I just interrupted you, but I just have to say this. There is nothing better. I know I'm biased. There is nothing better than watching on a clear morning the sun rise over the grandstands of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah. I as, would add, as you were, my apologies. No, I would agree with that. And you know what? We've missed out on it during Carb Day, right? Because the first hour we were indoors for Carb Day due to the weather. That's right. That's right. And then we went outdoors for the 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock hour. So just outside of turn two, posted up here at certainly one of the premier golf courses in the state of Indiana. I think Roger Penske has big plans for trying to make this one of the more Premier golf courses, I think, around the United States. So the Pacers golf outing is today. Chad Buchanan, GM of the Pacers, going to join us a little bit later. Uh, The Colts get back to practice this afternoon. We'll obviously see the injury situation with Michael Pittman. Is Shaquille Leonard any closer to making his 2022 debut? Uh, Jake, does a win cure all on Sunday? It doesn't cure all, but it certainly helps, right? I mean, here's the funny thing. The Colts are 0-1-1. One one. If you were to w- listen, I I mean, I was a part of, not, I mean, I, I wasn't on the roster, but, you know, I was working, as I know you were, I think, actually in the building, in the, what did they start out in the, the painter year, the suck for luck year? Well, oh boy, that was 0-12, right? 13, I, I something, think like right. something like finally, that? No, I mean, maybe even deeper than that. I think they won like a Thursday nighter in December. Like Josh Freeman came in or maybe Dan Orlovsky. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I was around for that. I was around during the Paul Justin 0-10 start. I mean, I remember that, you know, knock, knock, who's there? Owen, Owen who? Owen 10. I mean, so I've seen it, And that's what it feels like. Like, I go anywhere, and people are coming up to me and like, dude, like, what, what is going on with the Colts? What are they, they may go 0-7. And, and, you know, it's like, well, I mean, I'm telling you right now, and this is the last, literally, like, my, my last straw. Like, this for me, I am saying to the Colts right now, if you don't win this Sunday, we are going to turn this car around, and we are not going on vacation this year. It, this thing, I still believe that we're in the proper lane here. And if you don't win this Sunday, I am turning this thing around, and that's it. So this is their warning. This is their last effort with me, their last hope, their last benefit of the doubt for me. But I think they're going to win Sunday. Really? Yes. And that's no disrespect to Kansas City, who I know is an absolutely phenomenal team. You get some good money on that. Six-and-a-half-point underdog right now, the Colts. But I think the Colts... I do think the Colts, it would be so Colts, would it not? Like, that's what they do. You know, just when you count them out, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute. These guys, like, actually have some life in them. And I think they win Sunday. The suck for luck year, the Colts started the season 0-13. Yeah, and was it back-to-back wins they got? Yeah, Orlovsky late in the season. Yeah, they almost screwed it up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Reggie Wayne had a big touchdown late in the season. Jake, you know, on paper, you have half of the blueprint to neutralize Patrick Mahomes. The half would be Jonathan Taylor. Right. And the ability to play keep away. You think back to that 2019 win over Kansas City. Yes, Mahomes was hobbled in that game, but Marlon Mack carried the ball 30-some times in that game for 150 yards. And the Colts dominated time of possession. They had these long drives. They had one drive that I think moved like 30 yards in 14 plays. I feel like I was watching Navy. Uh, on that Sunday night football <laughs> win that they got, 
Um, so that's half the blueprint. The issue that I have is the other half of it. Can your four-man rush get home? You've played eight regulation quarters. Obviously, you had the overtime with Houston. Jake, you've played eight quarters, Houston and Jacksonville, and your defensive line has as many sacks as you, you or I. That's an issue. See, I when you play Mahomes, that's what works. A four-man rush that causes a little bit of disruption and you're dropping seven into coverage and Mahomes has got to sit and he's got to pat the ball and he's kind of a gunslinger, so he's going to force he's the ball. definitely balls. that. And I just have seen zero semblance of that in the first couple of weeks. Again, Taylor is flash, certainly, week one, um, but it's the other half of that blueprint. And, you know, Kansas City, 10 days off. And doesn't Kansas City have a little bit of a psyche after watching Buffalo Monday night saying, we can have no let-up? Remember, it's just one seed gets a bye now in the playoffs. It's not two seeds get a bye. The number one seed's the only seed that gets a bye. So if you want home field and you want that bye, you've got to be the number one overall seed. And Buffalo, to me, showing no signs of letting well, You know, up. the other thing that's interesting to your point with that, if you are Kansas City, or actually, let me rephrase that, the other side of that, if you're Buffalo, the thought was at the beginning of the year, and I, again, I know we're only two weeks in here, but the thought was like Buffalo's really, really good, and they had the advantage over a Kansas City in the fact that they were not in the AFC West, which is stacked, right? But the AFC East, Kevin, might be more competent and and competitive than we thought, right? Yeah, I, I thought Miami could do this, but it was impressive to watch what they did to Baltimore on Sunday. I, I mean, I, Miami is good. I, and, it, I mean, hell, look at the Jets. They don't look like the laughing stuff. That's what I mean. I mean. You know, and, and Miami, listen, I, I'm not sitting here saying Miami's ready to make that leap and put themselves into like a top three seed type thing. But Miami is a team that no longer when it's on the schedule do you look at and go, yeah, that's probably a win. They might have finally gotten one foot out of that nine and seven quicksand that is so hard to get out of right that they've been in for they've been in that sand trap for like 10 years jake to your earlier point i think this is a really good comment here from riley the start to this season reminds me of the 2015 year frank gore andre johnson so much hype turned failure boy that's you're not lying there do you remember that first game uh at buffalo I just remember with both those guys, it was like now Frank Gore obviously had a little more leg in him, but Andre You'd just Johnson, gone to the AFC title the year before, yeah, and I mean they were the Super Bowl darling. They were the Chargers of this year. They were, that's right. And, and yeah, I think to Riley's point, and I, I was trying to, I've been trying to make this, I guess, a little bit on in Monday and Tuesday shows. That to me is the disappointment, Jake. Of you know, you rattle off the suck for luck season. You talk about you know Paul Justin and those years those years didn't have the expectations that this year had coming into totally. it. Totally. And the fact that you've lost to, again, two teams that are perennial bottom feeders in the NFL, and for the large chunk of those eight quarters, you've been outplayed. That's what adds to the taste. And I, I, I'm with you. Yesterday I went to the grocery, ran into someone there, and yet you would think the Colts are 0-14 right now. By the way, we can see ourselves on the camera here. My face looks very fat, doesn't it? Is that the donut yesterday? Yeah, you know, I've just gotten this dad bod, Jake, where I got like triple, quadruple chin. I look at my wedding pictures and think, man, I've put on some weight since then. So I, I, I try not to worry about it. I already have my donut. Cam, Sienna, Devin, feel free to chime in with the donut. Jake's not even sniffing the bag. Oh, I'm sniffing it. Trust me. Long's Donuts here. Rookie mistake. If you missed it earlier, I had four, four $1 bills. I probably could have gone to another establishment. I was going to say, you could have gone to Wild Cherry down there on Street 16th, and, right? You know, and probably use those $4 elsewhere. Uh, it looks <laughs> like a beautiful day at the Brickyard Crossing Golf Course. Hey, you were spot on, Jake, about the planes just right I over I told us. you. It's, it's unbelievable. Those are all FedEx planes just coming in. I mean, like, you know what's crazy is if you – I think this is right. If not, it's going to be right because I'm going to say it on the radio. <laughs> if you live at 56th and Meridian. Hey, I kind of live in that area. If you FedEx something to 71st and Allisonville, I think whatever it is that you FedEx goes to Louisville, gets sorted, gets on a plane, and comes back to Indy. Really? I, I think that's right. The logistics of that but the, just the, don't the amount up. of stuff that is coming in from FedEx on airplanes at night is unbelievable. This is like the second largest. I said Louisville for FedEx. It might be. I think it's Memphis, but this is like the second largest 
FedEx hub in the country, I think, behind only Memphis. UPS is Louisville. The Grizzlies Arena, right? FedEx form? Yep. It used to be, um, you know, I always, I always thought this was a missed opportunity. You know that Memphis Pyramid they used to play in? Yeah, sure. I thought that should have been sponsored by Amway. <laughs> Amway did Orlando's. I thought Amway doing the Pyramid would, would have been perfect. Yeah, maybe instead of Quack Daddy Donuts hiring you for marketing, maybe, you know, <laughs> Memphis Chamber of Commerce can get you to intern for them. Next I'm, summer. I'm just saying. I'm not I, even going to jump on the word quack there. I just want to I just want to walk over to that first tee box and touch the dew on the tee right now. Do you know that here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, by the way, at the Brickyard Crossing for the Pacers golf outing, and again, we'll talk plenty about the Colts over the course of the morning. Danny Lopez, Senior Vice President of Marketing for the Pacers, going to join us shortly. But do you know that this area of the, the golf course itself Kevin, just in front of us, there are a couple of trees, but there are also two of them inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There was one that was lost to lightning um, about three years ago that was an original tree from when Carl Fisher bought the property here back in 1909. Did you do that story on I, Behind the Badge? I did. Okay. I did. But there were a couple of them that are right here by right by the, the putting greens. I thought that was true. I mean, I've heard some stories where, like, Roger Penske has flown Fred Ridley up here, who's the Augusta national chairman and has said, I want this golf course to be, you know, right up there with yours. Roger Penske being a member down there at Augusta national, that would be the connection there. You are an avid golfer. Is it a pretty good course? Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of the best courses in the state. Okay. It's certainly pricey. It's gotten up there, but we used to play speedway here in a match, the spark plugs in a nine hole match, the Thursday of race week. Oh, that's pretty cool. So seven, eight, nine and 10 are inside the the track so we would end on nine so we'd play seven eight nine and as you know the thursday before the race is a non-track day so you know it's relatively quiet but still just walking under the you we'd walk walk under the tunnel and the seven t is one of the cooler par three really one of the par three views frankly in probably all of the united states and uh kind of overseeing the entire oval and just the quietness of it and knowing what it would look like i mean hell 24 hours later at carb day let alone sunday pretty darn cool pretty fun time man yeah yeah pretty great times time, again right? heavy pacers talk today on kevin and query dan will be out here as well i would think dan will have a few players on if i'm if i'm gonna guess i would think some players will come out for the outing a little bit later uh chad buchanan will highlight our lineup today he's gonna join us around 8 30 again the colts are back to practice stephen holder um, at 8 o'clock, we did see one of the somewhat notable roster move for the Colts yesterday that we can hit on a little bit later. Um, and we don't do it too often, but what Aaron Judge is starting to do, Jake, here late in the year, number 60 last night. Uh, what? And then he gets upstaged. 15-60, yeah, by, his, <laughs> by Mr. Stanton after That's that. Right. Uh, what he's got left with 15-16 games to go, could he flirt with it? <laughs> Upper 60s? He won't hit 70, will he? So what, Roger Maris up next, and then who? Is it a Sosa year? Sosa's got a couple in the 60s, right? Sosa had two. He had a 66 year for sure. Then then Mack at 70 and Bonds at 73, right? Maris is 61, of course. Maris, yeah, I mean, Maris is the big one because, you know, it's the all-time Yankee record, right? Mm-hmm. right? And, and I think what stands, about, uh, stands out about Judge right now. He's not juiced out of his mind like everybody else was? Well, sure, that, and, and to that point, Jake, you know who's second on the home run list? He's this the season? judge, and I'm the jury on that. What's that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know who's second on the home run list right now in the NFL or in, in Major the, League Baseball? In Major League Baseball. I actually have no idea. Kyle Schwarber at 40 home runs. Yeah, Think that's about impressive. that. A 20 home run yeah, gap. The this amount is not that you're just, hitting it over. The ball is juiced. Well, that's and what everybody's I, hitting. You know, 50 this that's year. That's what I always said about Maris's 60 in, in the summer of '98. What I always said about Maris's accomplishment that was so phenomenal was it wasn't the number of home runs that Maris hit in 61, and Mantle had, I think, 59 that year. It was the percentage that they were ahead of everybody else. And in 98, don't get me wrong, it was phenomenal what McGuire and Sosa did. But in 98, you know, McGuire hit 70 home runs. You know, like utility guys from the Marlins were hitting 49. Right, I mean, right. it was like, yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly, yeah. Brian everybody. Anderson for the Orioles was hitting 55. Yeah. Yeah. So, Isn't it kind of cool how, like, sunny it now is based off what it was when we started this segment? 
What, what's more? Or how light it is. What's more impressive, Stanton having that big of a gap in the home run lead, or the Dodgers having a uh, being fifty-eight games over five hundred? You mean Judge having that big a gap? Judge, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think it's Judge. Again, because when uh, Jake, I mean, that was a great point Jake made. I mean, usually when you have these huge home run years, there's others around him. There's well, no one around and, him. And he also, I, I think the thing about Aaron Judge that makes his story so compelling is this is not a guy that was the can't miss, everybody knew about him, Bryce Harper level prospect. Right. You know, I mean, he, he toiled around for a while before he got in the bigs. He was not a, he was not a top 10 pick, if I'm not mistaken. So his story uh, alone, and then I mean, just the fact that you don't usually see guys that look like they could be an NFL quarterback that are up there swinging home runs. I mean, you know, and it's the Yankees. Yeah, he could play tight end for the Colts. They could use some help there, right? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I still have Moali Cox on my fantasy team. I I had put him in. I thought um, you wavered. Well, I made a waiver claim, and he was going to be the casualty of that. And uh, and then it was awkward because he came in this morning, and I said, you know, listen, I, I know I had you bring in your playbook, but um, – you know, things didn't work out, so we're going to have to keep you here. So uh, he is my Alex Pillow. Oh, very very okay. awkward. Well, yeah. that's a lot of lawyer fees that you'll be dealing with, it sounds like. <laughs> and on this, what promises to be warm summer-like late September day on a Wednesday, we're at the Brickyard Crossing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. As a matter of fact, pretty good view of the sunrise coming up over to our right-hand side. Then to our left, you can see to the pagoda. Turn two of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway here for the Pacers Foundation golf outing that gets underway officially into the swing of things. Pardon the pun in just about two and a half hours or so. But joining us now in the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about the Colts and their preparations for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know him from ESPN.com. He has been very busy this week. Stephen Holder and uh, Stephen, this is just going swimmingly well for the Colts so far this year, right? No issues at all. Hey, look at the bright side. It's almost basketball season, for better or worse. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's that. But, yeah, this, it's going well. It's going great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rose petals, and I thought they'd have a parade after Houston and Jacksonville if you ended the one-year drought or the uh, week one drought and the drought in Jacksonville. But you didn't end either of them. Um, let's start here. And, I, you know, I, I feel bad saying this, but I, I'm going to tell you that your answer cannot be the AFC South. I'm going to preface that, okay? okay uh, yeah. Your biggest reason for Colts optimism right now moving forward? Well, I actually would say this. I think their best players so far have not played that well. So what I would argue, or poorly probably, <laughs> is that I think they have more in them. And, and so if they get that, if they can find – that level that they normally play at, this is going to be a better team. I mean, I still think it's a talented team. I'm not saying they have enough talent. We, you, you never really know that, right, until, until they, the games actually start. But we know that they have talent. We've seen these guys play at a high level. The whole seven Pro Bowlers returning, all that, right? I mean, we've seen these guys play. Uh, I, I'm not seeing that level of production right now. So if they can ever get back to that and – why wouldn't they be able to at some point, right? If they're, if you're good, you don't forget how to play football. So I know it sounds, you know, sort of Pollyanna, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, but I just think, you know, if you're good, if your good players play well, you're going to be a better team. It's really not that complicated. Right. I mean, like, I think if we start seeing DeForest Buckner play like DeForest Buckner, Oh wow. All of a sudden things change. Right. So that's just one example. I think, and, and that's where the Colts' hope lies. Yeah, I mean, I would argue the best player through the first two weeks has been Grover Stewart, and you wouldn't even label him as a top, you know, 10 player on this team right. entering entering the season. I, I did want to give you, give you the opportunity to, I don't know if you want to clear anything up, but I know that you had a quote in your story um, after the game on Sunday from Kenny Moore, um, and I'll let you maybe say the quote. I, I don't want to miss, misspeak here, but Kenny's quote alluded to something scheme-related. Kenny then came back on Twitter yesterday or Monday and, and, and pretty much said that he didn't say anything scheme-related. Um, care to share anything on the interaction front? Because I think if you're going to label a player that is paid to be good and has not been good early in the season, Kenny Moore would fall into that group. Yeah, it w I can recount the entire uh, exchange. It basically was a conversation about the 
the Jaguars' high completion percentage, I mean, we all saw it. Uh, Trevor Lawrence completing 25 of 30 passes. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what can you do, you know, from a scheme standpoint when, when guys, you know, when they're having that much success? Um, and he says, you know, it's scheme on scheme is a quote. And he says, it's a great question. Though. Why is the guy so wide open? And look, I, I think you could interpret it. It really, it left a lot of things open to interpretation. Now, to be clear, I didn't in the story try to interpret it. I just said, hey, here's the question. Here's what he said. And I kind of leave it to the reader. I know that that can be, that can go a lot of different ways, right? What I, I'll tell you what I took from it, if that matters at all. What I took from it was I think they, they didn't have a solution. And whether, that's, whether that points to the coaching staff or the players, that, that's, you know, that's up to the, the reader to decide. But I also think when you say it's scheme on scheme, it means that the Jaguars had a pretty good attack and the Colts have their way of defending it and it, it just didn't work on Sunday. I don't think, frankly, I don't think that is even a bold statement. I think that is a reflection of what the hell we saw, <laughs> you know? So I, I get that he's probably getting some blowback from it. And I like Kenny. I have a good relationship with Kenny. I, I hope everything's fine from his perspective. I haven't heard from him, but I don't, I think what his tweet is saying, I'm, I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt here. I think what he's saying is he's not questioning the coaching in this quote. And, and that's a plausible explanation. So I don't know. We'll see. I'll clear it up with him when I see him. Uh, Steven, let me give you the names. I'll give you three names. And you tell me which of these three, if if Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and Frank Reich had a magic potion and they could sprinkle it over one player to wake that guy up and get them going, which of these three would be the most critical towards the Colts' success right now? Mo Cox, Yannick Ngakwe, and Paris Campbell. Hmm. Um, I actually think right now I might actually argue Paris Campbell. Well, at least in Sunday's game, let's put it that way, with Michael Pittman out. They just they needed a spark at wide receiver. The reason I don't mention Ngakwe is because I think it really boiled down to more of the way that the Jaguars attacked them. It, they kind of made the pass rush sort of – um, obsolete. They, they couldn't get there. The Colts right now have, uh, they are fourth in terms of time to throw defensively. And what that means is the amount of time between snap and the throw. They have the fourth lowest time uh, defensively right now, meaning the, the ball is out faster than any other team except for three other teams. So I kind of give Ngakwe a little benefit of the doubt you know, because of that, I want to see what he does Sunday against Mahomes, who will hold the ball a lot more, right? But when it comes to when it comes to the the offense, I mean, just Matt Ryan just didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. I mean, and that's on top of being under siege because the offensive line can't get its act together, which is a whole other story. And I think one of the most one of the most uh, one of the biggest indictments of this team right now is this offensive line playing like complete trash, complete trash. But anyway, I'm getting off the topic. You asked me about the three players. I, I think Paris Campbell, I thought he was a guy. Look, if there's ever an opportunity for him to step up and show, hey, I'm still here. I'm, I still have it. I can still do this. That was the opportunity of a lifetime. And what did he do? Basically nothing. I was really, really extremely disappointed in that. Like, and, uh, Stephen, is it, is it over for Paris Campbell? I mean, honestly, it, like it, I, I realize we're two games in, but I'm like, what are we doing here? I mean, literally, yeah. the, the, the entire world is waiting to see what you can do, and here's your opportunity to go out and you literally are D.B. Cooper until the fourth quarter when you get an offensive pass interference on a play that wasn't even designed to you. I, what are we doing here? I, I love the D.B. Cooper reference, by the way, because that uh, – can we get to the bottom of that one day? Anyway <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> you and I, you and I, two of the seven percent of Indianapolis that know who we're talking about. They have no idea what we're talking about. Go on your HBO app and and re, and watch the documentary. So I can tell you. I got nothing. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we're two nerds talking about something that doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
Yes. I mean, come on, man. Like, this is what we, we talked about this all offseason. And listen, I love Paris Campbell because I, I think that it's a, it's a very relatable story, right? What he's gone through is very relatable just for anybody, right? It, it's like all he wants is to just have an opportunity and to be healthy and, and all that, right? And, and you feel for him. You really do. There's, there's, a, there's a genuine, even as a reporter, I'm, I'm neutral and all that. But, like, you can't, you can't help but feel for what he has been through, right? Year after year after year major injuries. And so now he's healthy and now they really need him for the first time. <laughs> and he just he hasn't come through. So is it over? I think it will be unless, unless something changes. I mean, why would you on top of the injury concern, if he doesn't produce when he is healthy, then what do we, like you said, what are we doing? What, why would you go re-sign him when he's giving you nothing? So he has, now it's turned into – it's not so much a, a happy, uh, hopeful story. Now it's turned into like, hey, man, get it together. He's Stephen Holder with ESPN.com, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Right now we are live at the Brickyard Crossing golf course for the Pacers golf outing. Uh, focusing on the Colts here in this segment. Kind of expanding on that Stephen Campbell-related. You know, if you're going to tell me on Sunday, no Michael Pittman, no Alec Pierce – Paris Campbell's biggest contribution is an offensive pass interference penalty. Um, Jonathan Taylor has nine carries in the game. I would have said fantasy football owners, you need Naheem Hines on your football team. And yet he plays 15 snaps in that game. I thought Frank Reich's explanation on Monday, um, to be honest, I thought it was a bit lazy. I thought it was a bit head scratching. Uh, You had 50 plays in the game. How is Hines not sniffing 20, 25? And Frank's excuse of saying, well, we found out Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce weren't going to play late in the week. It's not like you haven't utilized Naheem Hines in a big role in training camp. You've talked about his expanded role. He's drilled with the wideouts. To me, it, it just seemed like such a missed opportunity considering the personnel, and they totally ignored one of their, frankly, only playmakers on Sunday. I would have accepted the answer more more readily if um, if if Jonathan Taylor had gotten the ball uh, with more frequency, and he did. Sure. What did Jonathan sure. Taylor have? I think nine carries, right? So, so if that were the explanation, if the explanation was, well, you know, we only had fifty plays, and we wanted Taylor to get his touches, then I'd be like, all right, well, that's an actual plausible explanation. But when neither of them got the ball very much, then it's just not, it's not okay. Because, I mean, frankly, those two guys, those are the two guys who, who have the most game-breaking ability in this offense right now, especially without Michael Pittman. So that's the other thing. I mean, if Michael Pittman's not out there, it's not like if you have someone else to get the ball to. So I agree. I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't accept it. Uh, it's not okay, and it, it is what it is. I, I had the same reaction you had. I, I think, look, I do understand as a play caller to, you know, to explain to people how does that happen. I, I actually understand how it happens. You just can't let it happen. It happens because you get caught up in the game and you have all these plays you've, you've kind of you know, sort of laid out to run, and, and you're, you're kind of trying to get to different things in the menu of plays, you know, especially when you get desperate, right, when you're not scoring. So I, I understand how you can kind of lose track of things, but you can't lose track uh, when he is one of your biggest playmakers. If he's not even on the field, forget about getting the ball. He's not, not even on the field. Uh, I got a problem with that. I'd also like to see, I haven't tracked this yet to be clear, but I think just the eye test tells you, I would like to see a little more of what we saw in training camp with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor in the same. Yes, formation. yes, yes, yes. I thought that. that I thought that should have been the dominant personnel grouping on Sunday. You know, when when Pittman and Pierce first show up in the injury report early in the week, you, you got to start thinking, hey, there's a chance they might not be there on Sunday. Certainly, you know, it's it's tough for yeah. a guy from a concussion standpoint to get back there. Not that Pierce would have some massive role anyways. And you know, all this talk in the offseason about it, and you script out the first series, and Hines was impactful. That was the one the one drive the whole game that actually moved across the fifty yard line. Yeah, it just uh, – I just thought from a coaching standpoint, you, you totally um, – you restricted, I thought, one of your very few areas where you could have been effective in moving the ball. No, I totally agree. I, and I think 
this is this is part of the the problem. Is look, I mean, they were they were definitely at a disadvantage, right? There's no question they they had some disadvantages with with Pittman being out and and Pierce being out. I, I get that, and I give them I give them or I I am open minded to that. I guess is what I'm saying. But the problem is, it's not as if you had no alternatives. You did have some alternatives, and you do have two of the biggest playmakers. Look, I get I get calls from from media all over the country, radio programs like yours and, and markets all over the country, fantasy football shows, and all they ever want to talk about is these two running backs. <laughs> okay? That's all they ever want to talk about. And, and neither guy, I thought, touched the ball nearly enough on Sunday. And, and if, if you don't throw it to Hines, throw it to Taylor. I, I mean, you, you got to do something. I, I do not trust these receivers. Look, I was willing to give Chris Ballard some benefit of the doubt. Look, I was like everybody else, like, hey, I don't know. We'll see. And I think that test came a lot earlier than we ever anticipated when Pittman got hurt. And the fact is, I think the verdict is in. Okay. They are what we think they are. Okay. So that being the case, you got to go somewhere else with the football. Steven, if you were given an envelope with a definitive answer in it, would you rather know every detail of what happened with DB Cooper or the Zodiac? (laughs) uh well i see i haven't i i haven't i'm not as well versed in the zodiac story i mean i know the story but i'm not as up to speed on the details i don't know why i'm i'm more well versed in db cooper i think i read about it and and seen the documentary and so yeah i'm a little more on the edge of my seat on that one uh, but the Zodiac, now you're going to have me going down a rabbit hole on this one now, I think, on, on the basis of this question. So I, I guess the answer is I, I want D.B. Cooper. Um, for, and first of all, <laughs> dude, you're jumping out of an airplane over the forest in, in the middle of Oregon. The Columbia River, right, yeah. What's the like, percentage of our listeners that get – am I just out on an island here with this? It, uh, it was I think it's your time. It was before my time. But I, really I think D.B. Cooper, Kevin, D.B. Cooper is kind of like – um, you know, it's like Star Trek. Like the people that are into it are like, we'll throw you down a flight of stairs over it, right? They're they're all in. <laughs> Everybody else is like, what's going on here? Uh, basically, basically, dude hijacked an airplane, had it land in an airport, and said, I want two hundred grand. They brought the two hundred grand on. He let a bunch of people off. They took it back up in the air. And as soon as it got back up in the air, he's like, that eh, joke's on you. And he opened up the emergency chute, parachuted out of a commercial airline. They never found them, but they found some of the money like 10 years later. Sounds like some Colts fans parachuting out of airlines. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The difference between um, D.B. Cooper and, say, Chris Ballard in the offseason is D.B. Cooper had a plan. He executed that plan. He went to it, and it worked flawlessly for him. Whereas Chris Ballard, I'm not saying he didn't have a plan, but, Stephen, you know, do you think that the leash – and I know that this is going to sound – almost personal. I don't mean it to be that way at all, but I'm genuinely curious your thought on this. It, it appears to me that the pendulum has kind of swung here in terms of, and I get it, fans get, get impatient when a team gets off to a slow start. And a win against Kansas City probably cures all of it. But does Chris Ballard's defiance towards the things that right now are truly being illuminated as weaknesses for the Colts. Does his leash get shortened based on the fact that they are things that seemingly every person in Indianapolis was jumping up and down screaming about, and he defiantly said didn't need to be addressed? Well, the the public sentiment, I think, is heavily impacted by that. You know, whether it changes things between him and Jamerse, that's, that's a tougher question, but but I will, and I know this is not what you asked me, but I, I do think when you're defiant about it uh, from a, a public standpoint, you know, look, the, the, all the public has is, is these interviews that we do, press conferences. Uh, they read the quotes, they hear the interviews, whatever, right? That's all they have to go by. And, you know, why don't you guys ask about this? Well, we do. And this is what he says he says he doesn't give a damn, okay? So I don't know what else to do, right? And so they get those answers and they don't like those answers. And then when, when people's fears are realized, and they have been, uh, they have a right to be upset about that. I understand it. I would be upset if I was emotionally invested in this, and, and this is the outcome, and, and I've gotten the answers that I've gotten. I'd be the same way. I get it. So in terms of, I think, the, the public being open-minded and giving Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt, he has, he has I think, lost a lot of that 
by virtue of how he's handled it, not only by his moves or lack thereof, but I think his, his attitude toward some of those questions. So do we read into Stephen the fact that, that do we read into the fact that we did not hear from Jim Irsay in terms of you know after the Jacksonville game at the end of last year and I realized it was a season-ending loss, but you know he was very outspoken. He did the video outside the jet and he you know he's reassuring fans, and and now I'm not going to say radio silent because he did a few things down in Jacksonville in terms of posting a video of him interacting with fans. But Jim Irsay has yet to really come out and make any sort of bold statement about this slow start. Do we read into that in any way, shape, or form? Uh, no. The, the only thing I would read into that is, and I think this is a real thing, the only thing I'd read into that is that I do truly believe that, that people around Jim Irsay, who he generally never listens to, <laughs> but I think the people around Jim Irsay are heavily, are, are working hard, I think, to, to influence him to, to not do that. Right. And occasionally he does actually heed the advice. <laughs> I think we saw we saw a little bit of a hint of this in training camp when he was asked about the importance of the season opener. You know how he's always banging on the table to win the season opener. And of course, they never do. And what did he say? He said, ah, you know, Chris and Frank and, and Pete Ward, you know, they've been on my case about, you know, you got to shut up about the season opener. It's not helping. Of course, they, they were right, <laughs> but the fact that he actually listened was, I thought, interesting because he just never does. So I, I think he understands as as much as I'm sure he has much to say. I do think he understands that it's week two, and that it, it only it only complicates things if he if he goes out there right now and says uh, things that that make the natives even more restless. So they're well, very respectful. Certainly, certainly. Colts back to practice later today. Again, the home opener this Sunday, 1 o'clock with the Kansas City Chiefs. Steven, as always, thank you, and uh, we'll see you here in a bit. All right, guys. See you soon. Can you believe that we're like three weeks into the month? This is the first time Mark's played this? Well, it's tonight, right? Yeah, The 21st today. night of September? Oh, he does say the 21st of September, yeah. yeah. Most people just play this on September 1st. Shout right? out to my dad. His birthday tomorrow. Brad, but you've got some birthdays around here, right? Or Shannon just had a birthday? Uh, Shannon's birthday is four days before mine. So. End of August? End of August. That's correct, yeah. And then uh, mine's a third and then a whole slew of them in September. Now, Eddie White just so. asked if there was extra security for me with Benedict Matherin if he shows up. Is, is Benedict Matherin showing up? I haven't seen him. It's probably a good thing I haven't seen him yet. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge. Do you, think, do you think he knows? No. Well, I would hope not. He's focused on basketball. That's if he doesn't like, know, he, he's going to know today. He, he is wired the right way, and our next guest had a big say in the drafting of Benedict Mather, number six overall out of Arizona. Chad Buchanan, the Pacers GM, is here. Chad, I think we talked to you just after the draft. Um, I expressed my admiration is probably the better word to use for Matherin. In what you saw in Summer League, what you've seen in him in person in your own building, what have been your early thoughts on the number six overall pick? Yeah, first off, congratulations on the new baby. Thank you. I yep. appreciate that. Thank you. Um, you know, Ben so far has been everything we expected. Uh, very, very driven, very competitive, wound tight. And we see that every day in the gym. Our guys have been for about a month now playing voluntary workouts, playing pickup, doing workouts with our coaches in the strength and conditioning area. And he's been exactly what we thought he was going to be. He's, he's going to go through highs and lows like all freshmen do. And the game is, you know, processing, you know, as a rookie can be, you know, take longer for some guys than others. But his competitiveness, his drive, his work ethic, he's, he's in there at night. I mean, he's working out during the day. He's coming back at night. He's just he's got a passion for getting better, which is a great quality to have. And he's got a lot of raw tools to work with. Wow, and tight. What, what do you mean by that? Well, he's the type of guy when you play pickup, when his team loses, he's got to walk out of the gym for a minute to get calmed down a little bit because he's just so competitive. He, he wants to play well individually. He wants his team to win. And he just takes his craft very, very seriously. Which is, for a young player like a Benedict Matherin, which is a bigger adjustment over the totality of a rookie year, a, a freshman year, as you call it? Is it the... The collapse speed of the lanes and just the overall length of what you're seeing at the NBA level, or is it the number of games and hitting that wall of where you're used to getting ready for the NCAA tournament and you're like, wait a minute, I'm only halfway through the season here. 
I think it's both. I think early on, it's the quick decisions you have to make. You know, it's a 24-second shot clock. Quick decisions, the defenses are prepared to take away what you're trying to do, so you've got to make adjustments. You've got to be thinking the game, and that can slow a rookie down initially. But as the season progresses and you start to learn things, you go through experiences where you have success, you have failures doing some of these decision-making, then you hit that 40, 45-game mark of the season, which in college you're done. In the NBA, you're only halfway there, and that's where it becomes more of a mental challenge of, Am I taking care of my body? Am I getting sleep? Am I eating right? Am I preparing myself to play well and have the energy to play every night? So I think it starts with what you first said, and then it ends with uh, the component of the length of the schedule. Who is the best that you have seen be able to handle that? Thad Young was – we had a group there of Thad Young, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison that were – Boyan Bogdanovich that were just every day. They knew how to pace themselves – uh, when they need to bring it at practice, when they need to bring it at games, when they need to scale back. And I, I, as I've been in the league for a long time, and I was telling Buddy Hill this yesterday, one thing I've grown to really respect in players is durability. And guys that are there every day, it's a very rare quality in our league. Um, there are only a handful of guys that played all 82 games last year in the NBA. And Buddy, Buddy's done it throughout his whole career. Yep, and Buddy is one of those guys, I think he's – he avoids the training room, and, you know, we had guys in Portland that were like that, too. They just don't want anything to do with the training room. They just want to play, and that is a quality that, you know, I think Ben possesses. I think Tyrese possesses that. I think other guys on our team have that quality, and it's it's rare. Yeah, I feel like I noticed all three draft picks were, were incredibly durable and played a ton in their collegiate careers, and I was curious if that was kind of something you guys wanted to focus on. Chad Buchanan, Pacers general manager. Again, he's with us here. We're live at the Pacers golf outing. A gorgeous Wednesday morning here at the Brickyard Crossing. I let off today's show, Chad, and said, I'm thrilled by the direction. I, I, I love the new era. I love the new hope. I feel like it's a little bit more of a modern-looking roster. I'm very excited about this season. season. But I'm curious when last year was the moment where you, Kevin, Herb, Rick, whoever, you guys looked at each other and said, all right, enough's enough. We got to do something drastic and do something very foreign to this franchise. I think we felt that moment coming as the season started and we had injuries and um, we just couldn't gain any momentum. You know, we got off to a little slow start and then we kind of ride the ship a little bit, but then we had more injuries and we're dealing with COVID and it just got to the point for me personally, the game on New Year's Eve when DeMar DeRozan throws in a running one foot you know, oh, yeah. three-pointer, that felt like a dagger to me, you know, and just that group and our season. And it was time for a new path. You know, the Pacers have always prided themselves on being competitive, being a playoff caliber team. And it was time for us to, to try something new. You know, that group, I feel it, it reached its, you know, its ceiling with its health, with its on-court play and success. And, you know, to our ownership's credit, you know, it was it was time to try something new. And like you said, it's the roster is now a little more modern. It, it's we're, we're committed to this long term. It's going to be some challenges. We have a young team, very young team and a very, very competitive Eastern Conference. And let's be real. It's hard to win with young players in our league right now. But we are committed to long term growth with this group and some of these young players we're committed to. And um, we want to continue building this the right way to have sustained success. You've been very candid with us. Miles um, Turner related, do you expect him to be here opening night? Yes. You know, Miles is obviously the offseason went through some things involving him, but Miles has been an absolute pro. You guys know Miles. He's, you know, one of the most outstanding human beings you're going to find in the NBA and handled everything this summer like a pro. He's in great shape, um, healthy, and ready to go. Is he here because. You see him as an integral part of the pieces around what you can have with him, or is he here because you took and looked at offers, nothing came to fruition, and so therefore you have to make the best of it with the fact he's a pro about it? Well, our job first off is to listen. I mean, obviously, Miles, we value greatly. You know, other teams around the league value him too. So it's always going to be our job to listen if it helps improve the team. But Miles fitting with this team, with a young group of guys, especially a young group of guards that need some defensive protection behind them that needs some experience with them in the locker room. His shooting, it really fits with a lot of our young guards. And so from a basketball standpoint, he's an he's a outstanding fit on the court for us. Um, you know, going back to, you know, his fit with us long term, we're always going to have to listen if teams call and it's our job. But we know what we have in Miles and we love what he brings to the team. Where is that balance with him specifically in that the injuries the last two years, the elephant in the room is the contract year. 
if he plays well, he might not be here in August, and that might not be your decision necessarily. He might want that. And yet you've got some younger guys at that position. You'd probably like to play as well to see what they look like long term. But where is that balance and knowing that this is a guy that if he plays well, it's great for the team this season. But that could be the benefit of another team starting next year. Yeah, we have to weigh all those factors. You know, Miles is in a great position for us from a basketball standpoint. You know, Domas is now longer with us. He's got the starting center position. He's playing with a great young guard in Tyrese um, with a coach that believes in him. So he's. He's set up to have an you know, opportunity to have a great season, and that puts him in a great spot next summer, like you mentioned. So, you know, we've got to weigh those, you know, with conversations with Miles throughout the year, um, with his agent throughout the year, and evaluate, you know, how he fits um, with our young guards because we haven't seen him with Tyrese. So um, we think it's going to fit well, but, you know, we, we want to see what it looks like before we make some of those calls. I'm sure Miles wants to do the same thing on his end. It's just part of the business. Perhaps I'm going to overinterpret. But I noticed Chad Buchanan, by the way, is our guest here at the Pacers Golf Outing. I noticed when you were talking about Miles Turner, um, you said on court he really plays, you know, he, he blends well with the guys we have around him. From a basketball standpoint, we really like what Miles does. I, is there any concern? Is there any personality issue that takes place away from the court with him? None. I mean, Miles is, as like I've said before, as good of a human being, high character as you're going to find in the NBA. Uh, he loves the city of Indianapolis. Obviously, this is the only team he knows. Um, he's been very loyal to us, um, and I have no concerns about Miles. Miles knows this is part of the business. I mean, he's we've communicated with him all summer on what was going on, and we do that with our players. We're very transparent with them, and he understood that part of it. Um, maybe he didn't always like it, but he understood it, and that's part of who Miles is. He's a very bright, you know, guy who understands that this is part of being an NBA player. You know, one thing that's interesting, Chad, I remember years ago talking to guys that played at Indiana. And when they would talk about Bob Knight, they would always say that, that Bob Knight, sometimes the guys that he would get on the hardest were guys that he knew could handle it. And there were other players that maybe he knew were a little more emotionally fragile. And so therefore he knew when to back away from, from going all in on them. In terms of your job, in all players, not just Miles Turner for any player, the, the outwardly comments that are made or the outwardly shopping a player, if, you, if to use that term, is it ever predicated in any way, shape, or form on how that player will respond to having their name in the headlines? Do you keep things more private if it's a guy that you think might not respond to it the way other players would? That's a, that's a deep question there. Um, I think we try to treat all of our guys the same with our communication with them out of respect to what they're doing for a living, what that means to their family, um, you know, the uncertainty of how long am I going to be in this one with this one team. So I would say that question is is tough to answer other than I could just say we treat everybody with the same amount of communication, the same honesty, same transparency as the next guy. Some of our players are more involved with, you know, trade rumors that are out there, um, accurate or inaccurate than others, but we try to treat all of them the same when it comes to that. Who Chad, is, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, Chad Buchanan's with us, the GM of the Indiana Pacers. Again, we're live here at the Pacers golf outing. Training camp next week, two weeks from tonight. The preseason opens less than a month away from the regular season opening. A position battle, a logjam out of position, starting battle. What are you most looking forward to roster-wise play out here over the next couple of weeks? I just want to see our young guys, how they grow, how they learn from some of our veterans in training camp. That's always interesting for me. You know, some young players get off to a blazing start. Some of them are a little slower out of the gate. And I think we have some veterans that are prepared to take on the role of mentoring some of our young players to help them get started. I think Tyrese is ready to take the next step in his play. He's more comfortable in his surroundings. He's more comfortable with his teammates. I think we're going to see a, a, a big jump from Tyrese this year, which I'm excited to see. And you're always excited about your three rookies, you know, see how they look you now that, hey, this is the real deal. This is camp. There's veterans on the floor with you. This isn't summer league. And I'm excited to see their progress from summer league to now of how they respond to a training camp environment. What player is, I'll tell you the, the guys that I love. Chad Buchanan's our, our guest. O over the years of me watching basketball, the Pacers in particular, my favorite players are not always the Reggie Millers and the, you know, the Ron Artests or whatever it may be. Oftentimes, it's guys that are, I call them Swiss Army Knives. Guys that you can just tell, they don't need shots to come through them. You can put them in a couple of different positions, maybe 
it's for a defensive stop. Maybe it's for, you know, ball control, whatever it might be. But they're willing to do whatever it takes, and they have a versatile skill set. Who is that guy for you? One guy who's had a phenomenal offseason. He's been in our gym all summer, and he does a lot of things. He's very underappreciated. Probably some NBA fans don't even know his name is Terry Taylor. I think he's had a terrific summer. He's looked great in pickup games. He's just keeps his mouth shut and just produces. He would be the worst ever guy to play in a pickup. You would game. hate to guard because Terry he's Taylor. the guy that would, and he's the guy that like would start checking you at like three quarters of the way up the floor and like, dude, what are you doing? I'm just out here to get a little run, right? Wait, and he like, got that rebound again. Yes, <laughs> right. You right. would hate to have to block he's a, him he's out. He's kind of a junkyard dog, right? He is, and he just doesn't say much. You know, he's not promoting himself or you know a, a brash personality. He just puts his nose to the grind and gets a lot of good stuff done on the court. Chad, am I crazy? I, I don't know if I care that much about wins and losses this season. I, I know that might sound like a ludicrous statement for someone inside the organization like you, so heavily involved. Um, and I get it. Years are precious. I mean, you obviously are playing to win. But I'm looking at it and think, if these young guys can take strides and you all of a sudden get to the Pacers golf outing next September and you sit here and you've got a core in place, you have pieces to the puzzle and maybe you just need a tweak or two – and these young guys have gotten experience, growing pains, have end-game situations, those sorts of things. To me, that that says more about the season than 32, 22, 42 wins. When you are asked your expectations for this season, what's your answer to that? Yeah, I don't think focusing on the wins and losses is appropriate with a young team. I agree with that. I think we want to see growth from start to finish, and you're going to have – peaks and valleys we talk a lot about having calm waters around our, our team of not reacting to the highs or the lows too much with a young team we're going to have some high highs there's going to be some great wins some nights where all of our young guys and our veterans play well simultaneously and it's a great night then you're going to have stretches where we look really young we look inexperienced we look overmatched against some of these really good teams um, but we want to see growth from october to January, to March, to end of the off season, we want to see a trajectory of positive momentum. And with a young team, that's what you're, that's what you want. And uh, we were, Kevin and I were in Portland together. And we went through that where we went from, you know, 21 wins to 32 to 41 to 54. You know, that's the kind of trajectory you want to build sustained success. And I think we'll see some, so like I said, some great nights with this young group. And you're going to see some nights where it doesn't look so good. Well, you know, what's funny is a, a, not funny, I guess, for Chad Buchanan in particular, but a 25-win season without a vision feels different than a 25-win season when it's – and I'm not saying you're going to win 25 games this year, but where I, I do think that now it's like you can see the light coming through. Does that make sense? Like it does feel like there is a plan and a vision, and it's pretty clear what it is. And I have said, and I want you to tell me if this is off base, the franchise that I look at and I say, this is perhaps where the Pacers are setting themselves up. I look at what Phoenix did. Phoenix kind of, and granted, Phoenix was able to go out and get a Chris Paul or, you know, a really good player, but through a, high, a couple of high draft picks and just being patient, they were able to then see it all come together seemingly overnight where you just went, holy cow, these guys are actually pretty good. And to me, that's the blueprint. Am I, am I being too optimistic? I think you're spot on. I think the other two teams, Phoenix is a great example. I think Memphis and Cleveland are the other two examples that we look at. Cleveland in particular. Have a couple high draft picks that they've hit on. They've drafted well late in the first round. If you would have gotten that pick from Cleveland, who would you have taken? <laughs> I don't know. I'm would, not sure. Let, let's been, see how the first. How, the, about, the, how your, about Mark Williams? I was huge on Mark Williams. I mean, good player. Definitely a good player. So that, that's he wasn't on the board, right? though. We're going to need security if Mark Williams ever comes to Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> how can you talk you. about a Duke guy with a KU hat on? I, that's true. I'm not a Kansas <laughs> fan. I just went there, and, and I actually like the logo. The <laughs> you did, you cool. thought you were interviewing KP today. That's why you were. That's right. That yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, ch uh, Chad, last one for me. You mentioned Domas and Miles and, and you know, that experiment, you know, obviously did not work out now miles is by himself but then you got jalen smith and i love jalen smith i love what he showed last year i mean jake knows this full well um i i was thrilled when you guys were able to bring him back a multi-year deal too which is not what i was necessarily expecting how would you assess kind of miles playing next to jalen smith versus miles playing next to domas jalen first off jalen had a phenomenal summer he was back in uh baltimore training and came back about two weeks ago and just floored everybody at the gym with what some of the things he's doing now. So we're super excited about how his game is expanding. And I think he knows 
as a power forward, there's certain skills that are different than what a center is going to do because he played, you know, both of those in his past. So him next to Miles brings us two shot blockers, two, two guys that can really stretch the floor and make shots, which helps our guards. And Jalen, I think you'll see, has added more dimensions to his game offensively where he's putting the ball on the floor a little bit, um, creating his own shot a little more. And the challenge will be, you know, Jalen defending on the perimeter. That'll be the thing that he's really got to continue to develop on. That's what he worked all summer on. That was a big thing we talked to him about when we signed him. As a power forward, your defensive, you know, responsibilities are different than a center. And so that'll be part of their growth together. You know, Miles obviously is terrific at the rim. He's very capable on the perimeter defensively. Jalen is, you know, we got to see can he move and guard some of these versatile fours in our league right now. Uh, but I think the shooting component is the biggest difference. You know, Domas was such a phenomenal interior player and passer, whereas Jalen is a phenomenal catch and shoot. Uh, he's a great finisher around the hole. So it's, it's, it puts more responsibility on our guards to make plays because Jalen and Miles aren't necessarily the same type of playmakers that Domas was. But I think that's what we wanted. We, we feel like our guards' strength is making plays. So we want the ball in their hands, and that's going to benefit Jalen and Miles both. Now, you're an Iowa native, right? Yes. Now, do you think that truck stop on I-80 is really the world's largest? Is that false advertising, do you I think? I think it's pretty large. Is that large. a marketing ploy? I think it's, I think it's pretty dangerous, you too. I try to avoid stopping there. Oh, the Maid Rights. We've discussed the Maid Rights. It's a great, and you've never had the Maid Rights, right? Or you don't like them? I love Maid Rights. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it's like a staple. Who was it we were talking to from Iowa? Yeah, it was and they that, said they said they'd never had a made right. We were and trying I, to get insight into Keegan Murray, one of these Iowa beat writers. Oh, yeah. had the had Iowa a beat writer, that's what it was. And, and he never had a made right. And I'm like, you're not really from he's Iowa. Not a true Iowa. Yeah. Jake almost hung up on him. Yeah, it was one of these. I'm like, you're one of these newspaper conglomerates <laughs> that's being done out of New York or something. There's no way. Would you agree though? If you totally agree, there's no way you're in Iowa for more than a week and you've not had a made right. Totally agree. Now, are you golfing? I'm not today. No, not today. I golfing? would love to. I love to golf, but not today. Well, you probably have pole. I mean, did you not get in on a foursome here? You <laughs> yeah. probably could Mike do that. Mike Preston took my spot in our foursome today. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, yeah. I've seen Eddie White play golf. I'd rather have you than Eddie, and I've never even seen you play golf. <laughs> Eddie's a good golfer. Uh, <laughs> well, he should be. He lives on a golf course. <laughs> Chad Buchanan, Pacers general manager. Again, the preseason opens up two weeks from tonight, and we are less than a month away from the regular season opener. Chad, I know it's probably been a lot to admit, kind of, it's time to go in a different direction i know that can be hard and challenging but uh, i think there's a lot of excitement about this season so looking forward to it and always appreciate your candor with us thanks for having me guys 